Father, we come to you because, Lord, I know that I'm not able. Father, I know that I'm not worthy aside from the shed blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. So, Lord, I I ask that you would move me out of your way. Lord, I, I pray and I beg that you would send the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you would speak in spite of me, that your words would flow forward, that mine would be stopped. And this morning we would hear from your perfect word and not from the words of a foolish and insufficient and frail preacher. God, we ask that you speak to us that when we leave this place, we will be closer to you. We will be more mature in our faith, that we will have grown as we walk with you. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know of the incredible gift that you offer in your Son and our Savior, Jesus, I pray that they would trust in Him today as their Lord and Savior. Father, we ask all these things to You, our one triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You may be wondering... Why we're going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We just did a sermon series going all the way through 1 Thessalonians. And our Sunday school lessons have been walking through 1 Thessalonians and just went into 2 Thessalonians. So you may be Thessalonian out. But I want to remind you we're in the midst of an eight-part sermon series looking at this specific phrase in the Greek that's called alelone. It is the word and two-word phrase in English meaning one another. It shows up about a hundred different times in the New Testament in about 94 different verses. Forty-seven of those are direct commands for Christians, those of us who are following Jesus, that this is how we are to live our life following the Lord. This is direct instruction to local churches. It's not just broad kind of instruction as one Christian relates to another one. This is specifically for how we interact within local churches. We looked first at loving one another. We looked at living in harmony with one another, being at peace with one another, living in unity with one another. As a matter of fact, out of those one another passages, a third of them are about loving each other, and another third of them are about unity with one another. So those to flavor the rest of them. And as we look at these others, these others are actually ways in which we accomplish love and unity. Love and unity are the overarching theme through all of the one another's and the way that we achieve that love and unity through the Holy Spirit is through all these others. So this morning we are looking at encourage one another encourage one another. And the majority of these occurrences take place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5. So we'll begin in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. I will read through chapter 5, verse 14. And then when I've completed, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. However, you may be accessing the word of the Lord. I would ask before we read, if you would please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. The word of the Lord says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. As others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for, the, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage this morning, and what we find is in verse 18, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As we talked about when we came to this passage in our First Thessalonians sermon series, we looked at the fact that the encouragement that is Christian encouragement should come from the knowledge that Jesus is coming back. Our encouragement should be seated in and founded upon the knowledge and the assurance and the hope that there is salvation in Jesus Christ and that one day Jesus is returning. Every time that encouraging comes up and encouraging one another is commanded in these two chapters, it is always around the idea and the instruction that Jesus is returning, that salvation is through Christ and through Christ alone. Just as we looked at when we talked about the I am statements, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. And so for those of us who are in Jesus, we have a special ability to encourage other believers based on that knowledge. And so we won't spend a lot of time in First Thessalonians. I'd actually like to use that as a springboard to look at someone who embodied what it means to offer a life of encouragement founded in the knowledge that Jesus is returning, that there will come a day of judgment. And so I want to look at, of course, the man whose name is Joseph. Joseph had a nickname. His nickname was the son of encouragement. 
So if you want to talk about encouragement, you probably ought to look at the example given by the guy whose nickname was literally encouragement. If we want to talk about thundering out the very powerful gospel of Jesus, maybe we talk about James and John. Their nickname was the Sons of Thunder. They went thundering about. They wanted to call down fire on cities that didn't believe in Jesus. So nicknames were given based off of how people lived. James and John were very fervent, very zealous for the Lord. And they even asked Jesus for Jesus to call down fire on cities that did not believe the gospel that they preached. And so they ended up with the nickname Sons of Thunder. Barnabas, on the other hand, ends up with that name. Because everybody who ran into Barnabas was encouraged. And when we talk about being encouraged by Barnabas, we're not talking about empty flattery. Christian encouragement is not only empty words. When you and I think about encouragement, when we think about somebody that is encouraging, I would bet that most of us think about someone who says encouraging things to us. That's a very small part of what it is to encourage one another. Some of us might encourage others in very odd, twisted, like, you know, reverse psychology kind of ways. For example, I love my buddy Rex Jones. If I go up to Rex Jones and he doesn't make fun of me in some way, I'm going to walk away from that encounter with Rex very discouraged. Walking up to Rex and him making fun of me or poking fun or giving me a hard time, that lets me know that Rex loves me and I feel encouraged. He gives me courage that we're okay, that our relationship is all right. You know, that's all that encouragement is. It's putting courage in someone. And I I know that that may sound like, well, golly, Pastor, you're just... No, that really is where it comes from. To encourage someone is to put courage in them. And so when, when you go up to a buddy that just loves to give you a hard time, that might be their way of encouraging you. It's odd. That's not necessarily my way of encouragement. And, and if you come up to me and I say something encouraging to you, that's because I'm, I'm trying to encourage you by building you up. Other people encourage by tearing one another down. I mean, I won't call out any other names. But I think people might know who I'm talking about. So that's my buddy Rex. That's other people. What did Barnabas do, though? It wasn't just words for him. It wasn't just saying nice things. And, you know, on Mother's Day, you see a lot of the same characteristics in good mothers when it comes to encouragement that you see in Barnabas. If you have a good mother that encourages you, that supports you, that builds you up, it's not just that they fill you full of flowery language, right? Do you feel encouraged when your mother comes along behind you and says, baby, you are the best ball player that I have ever seen, sweetie. I've just never seen anybody get up to that plate and you do so great. And you're sitting there thinking, I didn't even swing like I struck out. And I I like, I didn't even move the bat. Like, mom, that's not real. We know that that encouragement is not real. But we're encouraged when they sit outside the fence, right? When they go to the competition, when they go to the recital, when they go to the game, when they go wherever, and they're in the stands and they're cheering for you and you have courage because you know everybody else in that audience may be a stranger. Everybody else in that audience may not be in your corner, but my mama is there and she is in my corner. Have you ever heard that everybody else gets mad, right? That one kid gets up there and that mama goes, Woo! That's my baby! All of us are going, Jeez, come on, lady. And the people up on the stage are probably going, God, Mom. But deep down, 
You know they're like, my mom's here. That was her. <laughs> i got to act all tough right now, but that's my mom. She's really proud that I'm up here. It's encouraging. It gives you strength. There are actions that can encourage us more than empty words and flattery, and that's what Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, did. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to walk through a brief journey in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. When you get to Acts chapter 4, Jesus has ascended. He has told the Jerusalem, he has told the church that is founded there in Jerusalem, he's told the disciples and his followers that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit and they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. That's the actual outline for the rest of the book of Acts. And so what we see in chapter 4 is the founding of the institution of the church. All these believers are coming together and they don't know how they're going to make it because they're under some persecution, they're new, people don't understand where they come from. And look what Joseph does. Look what Barnabas does. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, not just by anybody, but by the apostles, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite. He was a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Do you know what gives courage? When you are a young church plant, when you're a fledgling church and you have no idea whether you're going to make it or not. Jesus is gone. He's promised the Holy Spirit, but we can't see him. We don't have money. We can't find work. What are we going to do? Well, Barnabas didn't just walk around going, don't worry, guys, buck up, guys, pick that chin up. I'm telling you, it's going to be all right. Barnabas said, you know what? I've got an extra field and it's going to hurt me a lot financially, but I'm going to sell that and I'm going to bring every penny that I make and I'm going to put it at the disciples' feet. And everybody saw this happen and they didn't think, "Woo, Barnabas, what's up? They thought, you know what? We might make it. If somebody's willing to make that sacrifice, if somebody is that committed to God's cause and what God has done in Christ and the Holy Spirit moving, we can see somebody who put their money where their mouth is and maybe we're going to make it. And Barnabas encouraged, he gave others the courage to do the same thing. Now, some of those people did it in a sinful way and it did not end up so well for them. Read chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, it's kind of scary. But there were others, other than Ananias and Sapphira, who were encouraged. They had the strength, the motivation, and the courage based off of Barnabas' actions to do likewise. And so we see in the early church, everyone pooled their resources. Not in some sort of communist, socialist fashion. It was they pooled their resources to take care of anyone who had need. Anyone who couldn't get a job because they were a Christian. Because they were a follower of the way. And so Barnabas encouraged the whole church by putting his money where his mouth was. When we put our money where we believe. When we offer somebody financial support. It is tremendously encouraging. If somebody's starting a new business and they come to you and you invest in that business, if somebody's running for political office and they come to you and you invest in their campaign, that gives them courage and hope that they might win. You know, when we go into elections, sometimes they base who they think the election will go to based off of who has more money. 
because they look at that money as a sign of support, of encouragement, of being built up. Barnabas encouraged by putting his money where his mouth was. Your mama encouraged you because she encouraged you financially. When you said you wanted to go for this job or that job, your mom was there, your dad was there, hopefully. I hope you had good parents in your life that showed up and supported you and encouraged you in that way and said, I believe that you can become an engineer. I believe that you can become a teacher. I believe that you can do whatever you want to do in life. And it wasn't empty words or flattery. It wasn't just, oh, that's my baby on the stage. It was, I'm going to make a commitment financially. And we were encouraged by our parents living it out, putting their money where their mouth is. So I wonder, as we try to encourage one another, are our words empty flattery or are we putting our money where our mouth is? When you try to encourage your brother or sister in Christ, when you try to encourage somebody and you don't put money along with it, it does not communicate a message of support. It communicates, hey, Andrew, it's really good to see you. I'm going to support you really good from over here, okay? I hope, I hope everything goes great for you. hope life's wonderful, but I'm just, I'm over here, all right? But if Andrew says, I'm going to go back to Africa... And I give her money towards that mission trip. When T.J. Kelly says, I want to go back to Guatemala, and this church gives him money so that it can help offset the cost for him to go to Guatemala and build houses and tell orphans and children about Jesus, he is encouraged because our church didn't just pray for him and send him out. We put our money where our mouth was. In church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, how often are you encouraging one another and putting your money where your mouth is? That's how we encourage one another. Not to just throw money around flippantly, but it matters. If you go to a restaurant and somebody's broken in front of you, and it's, their, it's your server and you have a great spiritual conversation, and you share the gospel with them and they, they end up saying they want to trust in Jesus, and then when it comes time to leave the tip, you just mark a line through there. You put a dollar. You think they're going to be very encouraged? <laughs> you mean to tell me you can tell me all about Jesus, but you can't even tip? You can't, even, you can't even put money extra down to support me and, and to help me get on my feet. You can tell me where the church is, but you're not willing to give me a ride there. You're not willing to put your money where your mouth is. Folks, we're notorious for that. Most servers see people bow their heads and know that their tip just went through the floor. When we want to encourage one another. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. That's the example we see in Barnabas. Move with me to Acts chapter 9. He put his money where his mouth was, but then in Acts chapter 9, verse 26... Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. The Bible says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is talking about Saul, who would become Paul. Saul tried to join the disciples. And in verse 26 it says, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, but the son of encouragement, took Saul and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. Do you realize, at this point in the story, Saul has been a murderer. A murderer specifically of Christians. And so when he says, no, 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 I've had a change of heart. I'm a Christian now. I want to join the club. Rightfully so, all the apostles were like, yeah, right, no chance, man. We are not meeting with you. Do you think it was encouraging that Barnabas said, hey, guys, I, I think that Paul's the real deal. I think that this guy really has had a change of heart. Like, his name's not even Saul anymore. He's Paul. Those words probably said a lot. But then Barnabas scheduled a meeting with Paul. 
He sat down and heard his testimony. He sat down and heard about how the Lord spoke to Paul on the Damascus Road and how he preached boldly in the name of Jesus so much so that he was kicked out of town right after he was saved. And Barnabas said, this man is the real deal. And Barnabas stuck his neck out to vouch for Saul. You realize Saul doesn't even become a part of the church without Barnabas sticking his neck out to vouch for the transformation in Paul's life. When we want to encourage somebody, sometimes it means we stick our neck out. Sometimes it means we vouch for them. Sometimes it means we stand up for them. You know, my cousin Sam and I always fussed and fought, and we were the ones that we got into a fight on the football field. And Coach Gleaton stepped back, and he looked at Coach Elgin and said, What, what do I do, Coach? They're beating the stew out of each other. And Coach Elgin said, Well, they're cousins. I guess just let them work it out. You know, we, I never thought that Sam cared a whole lot about me, but you let one kid, one bully show up and hit me, and my cousin Sam found out about it. Let me tell you, he remembered that blood was a lot thicker than water. And I never felt more courage than standing behind him. He's a big old boy. He was pushing 300, easy. He was an offensive lineman and every inch of an offensive lineman. And he'd stand up and he'd be like, hey, uh, you know, Nathan's my cousin, right? He was pretty country. I loved him to death. You know, you're messing with my family, right? And I didn't do it, but I was behind him going, yeah, man, what you think now, huh? That's my cousin, huh? Yeah, he got my back. Ha <laughs> ha! You didn't know I had a 300-pound lineman cousin. How you feel about me now? I had all kinds of courage when Sam stood up for me, when he vouched for me, when he put his neck out to defend me. And sometimes the best way to encourage one another is to stand up for one another. To stick our neck out for one another. To vouch for one another. That's what Barnabas did with Saul. Saul may not even be the Paul that we know today without Barnabas sticking his neck out for Paul. And then not only that, he does it again and again. Later in the book of Acts, they're called to go on missionary journeys. Okay, after Stephen is killed, the church starts to scatter. Look at verse 21 of Acts chapter 11, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, because that's where all these people are getting saved. So the apostles sent Barnabas as an ambassador to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord and to be steadfast in prayer. For he was a good man, this is Barnabas, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. When he sees all this happening, he goes, I know the perfect guy for this situation. Verse 25, so Barnabas leaves Antioch and goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You realize our name today as Christians ties back to Barnabas encouraging Saul. He said, these people need teaching. And so I'm going to go and find Saul who's very knowledgeable and learned. And I'm going to bring him back here. And even though they think he's a murderer, I'm going to vouch for him. And then when they said, hey, we need to set apart some missionaries to take this gospel all over the world. Barnabas said, Paul, you can do it, man. He said, you go, I'll support you. No, not just that. Barnabas said, hey man, you're pretty rude, you're pretty blunt, you're pretty straightforward, 
You come across as arrogant sometimes, and it's really hard for people to be around you. So you're going to have a hard time finding a partner to go with you on this missionary journey. So you know what? I'll go with you. Do you know that about yourself, Paul? People have a hard time putting up with you. You're a little too rough around the edges. But you know what? I'll go with you because I believe that God's called you to this, and I'm going to go with you. You sometimes encouraging someone else is not just putting your money where your mouth is. It's not just vouching for them. It's going with them. You want to encourage somebody who's going on a mission trip? Say, I'll go too. That's what Barnabas did. Not only that, the last example that we have with Barnabas happens in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word with many others also. They go on this missionary journey. They come back to Antioch. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Verse 38. But Paul thought best not to take them, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. First missionary journey. John Mark goes with them. They get to Pamphylia. The going gets tough. John Mark bails. And so Paul says, I ain't taking that scaredy cat with us again. But Barnabas encouraged John Mark. Because even though Paul said, I want to leave him behind, Barnabas said, you leave him behind, you're leaving me behind. You ever encourage somebody by standing up for him like that? That's the way that Barnabas offers encouragement. When God instructs us in these scriptures to encourage one another, this is the kind of encouragement that the Lord is talking about. And I hope that we all understand John Mark is Mark. The gospel of Mark is written by this same fella, John Mark. Barnabas saw an opportunity for redemption in John Mark that not even Paul could see. And because Barnabas encouraged him and trained him up, John Mark ends up spending time with Peter. And Peter tells his account of how Jesus' life and execution and resurrection went, and John Mark writes it down. So in the Gospel of Mark, one of the four Gospels, we have John Mark, the same coward who ran away in Pamphylia, Recording for us Peter's account of Jesus' life. We would not have the gospel of Mark had Barnabas not encouraged John Mark in this way. Folks, there are people in your life, there are people that you run into every Sunday here at church that need this kind of encouragement from you. They need this kind of encouragement from me. God is ready, willing, and able to do a powerful thing through a relationship between you and them. The same way that God did a powerful thing through the relationship between Barnabas and Paul. The same way that God did a powerful thing in the relationship between Barnabas and John Mark. God wants to use you to be a genuine encouragement to someone else. And within the church, these kind of relationships should exist. We should be like Paul seeking somebody like Barnabas to invest in us. We should be like Barnabas seeking somebody else to invest in. This is how church is supposed to work. We don't just show up every so often on Sundays and sit near somebody in a pew, but we develop deep, intimate relationships with one another. We go on missionary journeys with one another. We contribute money to one another, all for the purpose of encouraging one another in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. 
Barnabas encouraged this way because he knew Jesus was coming. He wouldn't have sold that property and gave that money if he didn't think it was imminent that Jesus was coming back. He would not have stuck his neck out for Paul if he didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one day Jesus would come back and that the gospel that they know to be true was real and not a fairy tale. So he stuck his neck out for Saul who became Paul. He knew that there was a redeemable quality in John Mark and that it was not worth casting him aside because the gospel is too important to just cast John Mark aside. And because he knew that the Lord was coming back, he encouraged others. And so I just wonder this morning, how are we as a church doing encouraging one another? Not with empty words, not with empty flattery, but encouraging one another in a way where we put our money where our mouth is. Encouraging one another where we take a chance and stick our neck out for somebody. Encouraging one another in finding redemptive qualities in somebody that everybody else has written off. Encouraging one another by showing up and being there when people need you. Being at the ball games, being at the recitals, being at the funerals, being at the weddings, being at the births of the babies, being there when parents pass away. Encouraging one another just by being present. If you've ever lost a loved one, you know there's nothing like a friendly face from your church family standing there in the line. And people are coming down to wish you their condolences. And you see that person who's been your Barnabas in that line. Nothing gives you more strength and courage in that moment than seeing that person that you've developed that relationship with. That puts courage in our hearts. That's what encouraging one another looks like. Yeah, we say nice words. We build one another up with our speech. But we live in such a way as to encourage one another. And the reason we do it is because Christ did the ultimate thing to encourage us. We were worthless. We were worse than what John Mark did. We rebelled. We committed treason. We could not have cared less about God. We made God. We made ourselves God. We turned a blind eye towards the Lord. And he said, I'm going to give them courage to live for me by sending my one and only son to die on a cross to cover their sin. I'm going to raise him up from the dead so that they can have courage to know that there is life after death because my son didn't die and stay dead. My son died and was raised from the dead. You need courage to live for Jesus. All the courage you need is seen in the empty tomb. Because Jesus lives, just like we sang this morning, we can live. That's God trying to encourage us. Have you ever accepted that encouragement from Christ? That you can live because He lives. Have you done that a long time ago? But through life circumstances, through whatever else, you find that you're not encouraging one another within the church anymore. I want to challenge us this morning. Don't, don't let us just be people filled with empty words of flattery. Let us encourage one another by the way we live. Let us start having to dole out the nickname Barnabas because this church is filled with sons and daughters of encouragement. Let that be said of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you showed us the perfect example of encouragement in Christ. You gave us additional examples in Joseph, the son of encouragement. 
Lord, I, I know I've been guilty plenty of times of not being the encourager that You've called us to be. Father, I pray that You would help us to repent and live lives of encouragement. Living out encouragement through the things that we say, through the actions that we take. Lord, we love You. We ask for You to move among us this morning. Help us to be encouraging. Help us to be a church filled with Barnabas. Lord, if anybody doesn't know You this morning, would You encourage them, give them the courage to step forward and trust in You for the first time. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.